Welcome back, everybody, to this new week of The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Lots to discuss, as always, so let's dive right in. President Joe Biden spoke at the National Action Network breakfast that was commemorating uh, MLK and MLK Day, of course, important day, representing and celebrating a significant person and a significant movement uh, that he was a figure of. And so within this speech that Biden gave, there was multiple different topics touched on, and I want to look at a few of those different moments with you. The first addressing the way in which the Republican Party is attempting to stand against very common sense action that Biden has pushed for that would allow the IRS to be able to get the taxes they should be getting from those at the very top for economic ladder, millionaires, billionaires. And Republicans are saying, no, we don't want that. But then offering up some other odd solutions to get back uh, taxes. They're preparing to vote on a third bill. <clears throat> they want a national sales tax. Now, let me say this again. I know if I said that, it sounded like, what's Biden making up here? They want to raise tax the middle class by taxing thousands of everyday items, from groceries, gasoline, clothing, cutting taxes for the wealthiest, because they want to supplant the money lost from taxes on the millionaires and billionaires with a sales tax on virtually everything in the country. What in God's name is that all about, other than what is obvious? They want working class folks to be paying another 10, 20% in their taxes, depending on where they live and how they're spending the money. And they're going to reduce taxes for the super wealthy. Now, if we didn't see it, I think this is making this stuff up. If I told you in 2020. And we'll stop uh, that there. And so, of course, no Republican is going to come forward and say, yes, I support working class people having to pay more in taxes and the millionaires and billionaires having to pay less. That's a horrible political message. But in effect, that is what their policies end up doing because they stand against actions like the extra funding to the IRS that would allow them to hire more people and uh, have the proper amount of resources to go after these individuals, millionaires and billionaires, who will have a very complex way for getting out of paying their taxes. And so to get the fair share we talk so often about doesn't even require at this point in time, based on this action, a raising of the rate on the richest in our country, but just getting the taxes that they're supposed to be getting uh, in the first place, which seems completely reasonable. But somehow Republicans have come up with a reason that this is horrible, saying that it's 87,000 agents, which is not all agents, um, going after you when that's not the purpose of this action. And so all around, very dishonest, and it contributes to then the burden with their other ideas for getting back tax dollars uh, on working class people disproportionately, which is completely backwards. That's what these policies would do. Um, next moment from this speech. Take a look. Now, this is also why <clears throat> about a month after Buffalo and Uvalde, and I visited both, I signed the first major gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. <clears throat> and I'll say what I said then, I'll say it over and over again. I am going to get assault weapons banned. I did it once, I'm going to do it again. There's no social redeeming value. Deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests out there. What the hell you need a assault? No, I'm serious. And ban the 
deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests. That's very true. The number of bullets that go in a magazine. There's no, no need for any of that. I love my right-wing friends who talk about the tree of liberty as water of the blood of patriots. Give me a, if you need to work about taking on the federal government, you need some F-15s. You don't need an AR-15. Right, and so that's touching on the thing that we have discussed a lot in the past, which is, okay, you start off talking to someone who says none of these guns should be regulated extensively and definitely you can't ban certain types of uh, weapons that are extremely dangerous. And the reasoning is sometimes hunting, and then you say, do you really value hunting over human lives? And sometimes they'll back off of that. But then it turns into, well, we're supposed to be able to fight back against our tyrannical government if it becomes tyrannical. And as Biden noted there, really? Do you really think if you had an AR-15 that would be able to go up against the United States military? Drone strikes, if they so chose, uh, you know, airstrikes, all these different things. No, you couldn't. And so the only consistent argument when it comes to this would be to say we should be able to have access to every single type of weapon that the government has access to. Give me my nuclear weapon, Biden. And that's when you start saying it doesn't make much sense. And so all we're arguing over is where's the line going to be? And we're arguing people who do want to regulate guns more extensively, that the line should be before AR-15s, before certain types of weapons that have a very specific purpose of killing as many people as possible, as fast as possible, which is not what we want in the hands of deranged individuals and all of these different things. Last moment we'll take a look at from this speech. The idea, if we can hold a second here, the idea that we're supposed to remain silent on the on, on the abuses of the past, as they didn't, as if they didn't occur. That's not being woke. That's being honest. That's talking about history. Well, folks, well, we have a lot of unfinished work to do, though. A lot of unfinished work. We have to keep building on it and. And there you see, especially on a day like Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, a topic that is so important to be discussed and pushed back on from the right-wing narrative on it, which is talking about history in schools is critical race theory. Talking about racial oppression, talking about systemic uh, racism, all these different real aspects of America today and America historically is critical race theory. It's brainwashing them to hate America. And what Biden's saying there is that's not woke. Wanting to talk about history is not woke. It's just the reality. And so you can both have an appreciation for the good parts of your country and a recognition and motivation to change the bad parts and make good on the bad historical events that have happened in your country's past. And so the simplification of that down to the left wants you to hate America and is trying to brainwash you into seeing everything on racial lines is incredibly dishonest and really, in effect, just create situations where, as we're now seeing across the country in red states, they don't want to teach very real historical events in the classroom exactly where those events should be getting taught. Uh, interesting speech there from Joe Biden. Let me know what you think. Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. 
Donald Trump has responded now on Truth Social to the Biden documents situation. Of course, now multiple locations, Biden uh, has had his lawyers find documents that are classified. They immediately turn them over to the National Archives, making it better in the sense that they're complying, but still serious, important, and if there was wrongdoing, any person who partook in that wrongdoing should be held accountable. Absolutely. Well, Trump's response is way less reasonable than that, um, is quite unhinged. Take a look at this first message. The new narrative from the fake news media, virtually the same people that pushed the big lie of Russia, 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 only to go down in flames, is the even more ridiculous story that what Biden, there he spelled Biden with two Ds, uh, did, what Biden did isn't as bad as what Trump did. Number one, I did nothing wrong. Have the rightest president to declassify, had documents in a secure place, put an extra lock on at radical left Nara's request, and was dealing with Nara nicely as per PRA and socks until the FBI broke into Mar-a-Lago. Now, that is just completely false. The National Archives asked time and time again for Trump to turn over these documents, and he did not. And for months, he obstructed the process. That is what makes his situation when he talks about the people saying that his is worse than Biden's. That's what they mean. Biden and his team is fully complying with uh, the investigation into these classified documents, whereas you were not the National Archives ass, ass, ass. And then whenever you weren't complying, they had to turn it over to the DOJ and the raid occurred. And that's what so many seem to be getting wrong on this on the right. They keep saying, why isn't Biden being raided? Well, that's because he's complying. If Trump complied, he wouldn't have gotten raided. Stop asking for Biden to be raided if that process is not even necessary and wouldn't have been with Trump either. Next message from him. Uh, Mar-a-Lago is a walled fortress built with unlimited money with the idea that it would one day be the Southern White House. Hmm. I guess that turned out to be true in addition to locks and a strong structural setting. I have security and secret service is there full time. Compare that to a flimsy garage with no security and papers strewn all over the floor. Easy access for anyone. Also, he had them for six years in many different places. I arrived to Mar-a-Lago with papers as president, Joe uh, as VP. And then we will look at his stern, a uh, third message on this tirade. With all that has been stated on pages one and two of True Social, and with all the evidence leading to the fact that I did nothing wrong and Joe did, our nation has become an investigation nightmare, despite the many other problems we have, which are many. It is now time for the USA to stop these ridiculous investigations, and that includes those DC-inspired local and state witch hunts and get back to the business of properly running our country. So do you see what he's doing there? Uh, Trump is being investigated for multiple things, business related things, his attempts to overturn the 2020 election, January 6th, and the documents situation. And he's saying, because Biden also maybe mishandled classified documents and is being investigated for it, I shouldn't be investigated for anything. What on earth is that? For. Why? Um, and you can see with Trump and with a lot of people on the right recently, they don't really know how to handle the fact that the DOJ is not acting at all in the way that they were saying the DOJ was going to act. They were saying no one's going to care about the Biden document story. It's not going to be investigated. It's not going to be taken seriously. And it has been. Now, people such as myself make sure to clearly 
make clear what the difference is between Trump's document situation and Biden's. There is a huge difference and Trump obstructed, but, or that seems to be what the evidence shows, um, but doesn't mean Biden's isn't serious because classified information is serious and should be handled correctly. And so now the talking points don't really know what to do with themselves because the whole idea behind the freak out about the Biden document story was, okay, we can't necessarily say it's horrible and terrible that Biden did this because Trump did this in a larger way. But we can say that the DOJ is horrible because they're taking Trump's more seriously than Biden's and they're trying to cover up Biden's. And then that hasn't happened. It's been taken seriously. It is being investigated. Merrick Garland did appoint a special counsel. And so then it's just, uh, I don't know. Well, um, drop all the investigations into me and just only focus on Joe Biden. And that's kind of the remaining talking point we have from Trump. Very, very interesting. Every time we think we know everything there is to know about George Santos's past or Anthony DeVolder or whatever his name might be, uh, we learn more. And today we get to look at the fact that he was involved in a Ponzi scheme. Oof. Um, take a look at this from CNN. Republican Representative George Santos said a company later accused of running a Ponzi scheme was 100% legitimate when it was accused by a potential customer of fraud in 2020, more than a year before it was sued by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Once the company where he worked came under federal scrutiny, Santos claimed publicly that he was unaware of accusations of fraud at the firm. Santos worked at Harbor City Capital Corporation in 2020 and 2021, a company the SEC said was a classic Ponzi scheme in an April 2021 complaint against the firm. A Ponzi scheme is a type of fraud where existing investors are paid with funds from new investors, often promising artificially high rates of return with little risk. Santos was not named in the SEC complaint. So Santos is saying he had no knowledge that this was going on. Um, but as you'll see in this video, he definitely loved making it clear that he was involved in this company's affairs. And it, I guess, was an example of how great of a businessman he is. We know numbers. Uh, currently at Harbor City Capital, I manage a $1.5 billion fund, right? And I know how to manage it well. I give record returns um, to anybody who watches this. They'll understand I'm, I'm giving, you know, a 12% fixed yield income return a year, which nobody in the market's giving four, and we're giving 12. Uh, we're also giving up to 20 to 26% in IRR return on our investors' capital. So if there's something I know how to do is manage dollars and grow them. We know numbers. And the way that those dollars were being managed and the company was growing, I guess, was through very illegitimate means, at least that's what is being alleged. Um, and it just shows you, it does not stop with George Santos. What weirds me out is, I don't know how in as short of a life as he's lived relative to how many lies have come out, how you can possibly fit in this many bad acts slash bad lies, all these different things in that short of a, even if I tried, it would be hard to rack up that many examples of being unqualified for a position like congressman. But yet, because the world is completely backwards, he is a congressman as we speak. It is very strange. Speaking of George Santos, I want to look at a couple more lies that he's told, this time both in regard to his 
higher education history that doesn't actually exist. And the reason why I've been doing this with y'all is as people dive into his past, more and more is coming out about past things he said and past lies he's told. And I could just sum it all up by saying he's lied about almost everything and we could move on. But and this might not be y'all, but for me, I'm fixated on the inability I have to relate to how easily pathologically he's able to lie. I think if I go back and listen to a recording of me lying, if there was such a thing, if I'd ever lied in my entire life, um, I would be able to hear a little bit of tentativeness or nervousness, right? Knowing that I was telling a lie, but he just bulls straight through those lies as if it is no such thing. Take a look at this first one, uh, talking about his time playing volleyball at Baruch College. Santos running against Tom Swazi in that third congressional district coming up next Tuesday. Hey, you know, it's funny, George, you go right to the heart here of me, Sid and Bernie. At the very end of your biography, it says, in his spare time, George Anthony enjoys volleyball and tennis. Let me tell you why that's funny. You're on this show. Bernie's daughter, Melanie, was a star volleyball player in college. And my daughter, Ava, as we speak, is working on a tennis scholarship when she goes to college. So the two sports that you seem to enjoy on the weekends are the same two sports our two daughters excel in. You know, it's funny. I actually went to school on a, on a volleyball scholarship. And, you did? And I did, yeah. Um, when I was in Baruch. We were the number one volleyball. Did you graduate team, from Baruch? Uh, did you graduate from there? Yeah. So did I. I did. I did. So did I. Oh, very cool. So, great school. Great institution. Very yes. liberal. I mean, what I did, I absolutely 100% <laughs> without a doubt graduated from Baruch. That is as <laughs> truthful as it gets. And then it comes out, nope. And he admits that he hasn't been to a higher education. Why are you doing that? And then it's not just he didn't go to Baruch College. It's, he didn't go to Baruch College, so how, on this blue and green earth we live on, did he also go to that college on a volleyball scholarship? It is wild. I don't even know if he's ever slapped his hand on a volleyball or held a tennis racket in his hand at this point, even though he claims those are his weekend activities. He probably also was a professional tennis player, um, or at least I wouldn't be surprised if he claimed that. Next moment, he says that he got his MBA from NYU. Very interesting, George. School, you're going to pay for it. I'll help you. And, uh, you know, whatever they want to do afterwards as far as a master's degree program, uh, but I'll help them with it. But that's you're going to take a student loan out for that. But I put myself through college and got an MBA from NYU, and I have zero debt. And my parents, uh, they helped where they could because they were rebuilding back uh, after filing for bankruptcy. But... I know the drill. It's it's hard work. You got to do it. And uh, like I said, I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Nothing comes for free. Nothing in the life is free. And the harder you work for something, the more you want it. And the more you want it, the more rewarding it is. So yeah, I hate to care of it. So he says he put himself through college, got an MBA from NYU. He didn't do those things. It is so wild and he does it so comfortably just lets it spew out now the weird thing is it seems he's not good at putting together a consistent lie i don't think that we should lie as people 
Um, unless, you know, your sister comes to you and says, is this dress pretty? Okay, say yes. But um, even if it's not, that's an okay lie. But beyond that, lying's generally not good, right? Um, and so to my sister, all your dresses are pretty. <laughs> that wasn't about you. That was a hypothetical about somebody else. Um, but he's not good at actually putting it together in a way that makes any sense later on when you put the multiple claims together. You got a lot of different, he could have done this, but still Baruch and then NYU, and then your mom died 9-11, but really she died five years before 2021, but really both your parents survived 9-11. He's not good at building a narrative that later on you could say, well, NYU must've lost my you know, certificate because I was there. Because there's so many inconsistencies, even just with the lies he's told, which makes it that much more clear that he is indeed lying. I can't stop looking into this stuff because it doesn't make any sense to my brain that someone would live a life like that. How sad do you have to feel at the end of the day when you go to sleep knowing that all of the impressed responses and nice conversations you've had for the most part have been based on a lie of some sort. That must feel so sad. And even if you were to get to your ultimate goal of getting elected as a congressman, wouldn't you feel empty even if this wasn't all exposed because you didn't actually uh, put in the work and honestly get to where you are. Now, of course, tons of people don't honestly get to successful positions, but all of that's hard to understand because the whole reason in my mind that success is so amazing is because you actually did the honest work to get there. But obviously, George Santos and many people don't agree with that. We've been talking about the Biden document situation and an interesting point about that in regard to the way that uh, right-wing media kind of pounced on the narrative that the left wasn't going to take this seriously and how that wasn't true, that the DOJ wasn't going to take this seriously and that wasn't true. And I want to dive into that a little bit more here. Um, and I'll say in every segment about this story that even though, yes, Biden has handled better this whole ordeal, not obstructing like Trump did with the process. It still is serious. It should be taken seriously, investigated. If uh, accountability is necessary, make it happen. Classified information should be handled correctly, of course. And then on top of that, what I want to dive into now is the right wing wanted to say that this story was going to be covered up. Liberal media wasn't going to want to talk about it and all these different things. And that just hasn't been the case. And when we saw the uh, news break with the Mar-a-Lago document situation, immediately right-wing media, tons of right-wing lawmakers jumped into action saying, there's no problem here, Trump's not in the wrong, they're persecuting, politically persecuting Trump and defending him. The story breaks that indeed is less significant but still significant about Biden and liberal politicians, liberal media, sources are not reacting in a mirror way to the way that the right did. Instead, they're saying, this is serious, it should be investigated. I wanna give you a bunch of examples of that uh, right now. First, Senator Raphael Warnock, an ally of Trump, saying, I think it's great that the, not in this exact wording, but that the special counsel was appointed, for sure. I wanna ask you about the, uh, the latest with the, uh, this documents case. Uh, wh what's your take? Was the appointment of a special counsel the right move by the Justice Department? Well, well, certainly. L let me say uh, at the top that uh, classified documents are to be taken seriously. 
and they are to be handled with a great deal of care and no one is above the law. So um, uh, I'm glad to see the Justice Department doing its work and we ought to let that work proceed. Do, do you perfectly great with it because that is how the situation should be handled. It's serious. We can make the comparisons, but on its own, it's serious and it should be handled uh, in this manner. So there you have a Democratic senator. Um, and then I have for you a Democratic congressman echoing a very similar sentiment. Congressman, do you get why so many Americans at least have the perception that the Justice Department does not treat all Americans equally? And, and what does the department have to do in these cases to reassure Americans? Well, doing exactly what they're doing now. We have a special counsel in place. Uh, the documents and the whole issue is before the special counsel and the investigations will go forward with regard to uh, these classified documents. So the way that you show people the DOJ is not biased in one political direction is by handling it uh, in this way is the message he's sharing there. Then you have another Democratic Congressman, Representative Matt Cartwright, saying something similar. Well, it's, uh, it's clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've got to review how departing presidents and vice presidents uh, are going about organizing the archiving of their, of their documents, both classified and unclassified, uh, because this can't go on. I mean, and if... So this can't go on is how he ends that. And then you have Democratic Representative Ilan Omar. Start by getting your reaction to the news of today. Uh, six pages now, no additional pages uh, of classified documents having been found at President Biden's home in Delaware. Well, one, I'm glad that there is a special prosecutor that's been appointed to investigate. You are glad that there is a special yes, prosecutor. Tell me because why. any time there is a deviance uh, in regards to security protocols that should be taken serious, it should be investigated. What I find interesting is that Republicans who have defended Trump after he literally stole classified documents, refused to turn them over, lied about having them, made up some story about how he declassified them, had to have his house raided in order for those documents to be found, are now only interested in investigating Biden, who has cooperated, who his own staff and former staff have themselves turned these documents in. Exactly right. And then finally here, Adam Schiff. Congressman Adam Schiff, the outgoing chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, Congressman Schiff, you were on this show just after Attorney General Garland appointed a special counsel in the case of the Trump documents. You said it was the right move. Do you feel the same way about this special counsel? Uh, I do think it's the right move. Uh, the attorney general has to make sure that not only is justice evenly applied, but the appearances of justice are also uh, uh, satisfactory to the public. And here, I don't think he had any choice but to appoint a special counsel. So then there you have Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, a prominent Democrat, saying that appointing the special counsel was the correct move. And this really shows you the difference in how the left versus right is handling these stories. Um, it's not to say that left-wing media or Democratic politicians are wonderful all the time. No, we know that's not true. But on this, are handling it much more honestly. Republicans jumped right into action defending Trump when the Mar-a-Lago story broke. Democrats are not doing that. They're just saying, listen, it should be handled properly, investigated. If there was wrongdoing, hold the proper people accountable. Boom. 
And if the right had done that, that would have been so much more appropriate with Trump, but they didn't. And then when the Biden story broke, they jumped immediately on the narrative that the left isn't going to take this seriously. They're going to try to cover it up. And it just didn't happen. And so now what are they going to say? Well, now I've started to hear that people are obsessing over the fact that Biden isn't getting raided. Yes, because he's complying. If Trump had complied, he wouldn't have been raided. Very interesting distinction there between the way that either side is handling this. Um, last thing I'll say on this story, NBC News reports multiple aides who worked for President Joe Biden in the final days of the Obama administration have been interviewed by federal law enforcement officials reviewing how classified documents ended up in his Delaware residence and a Washington office. So the investigation is happening. It's not just being announced, it's happening. Aides are being interviewed about this and questioned and Again, it shows you, no, there's no cover up. There's no, the DOJ only cares if it's a Republican. It's being handled the way that it should, fairly. And that goes right against what Republicans told us we were going to see in regard to this story. New governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, of course, the former press secretary of Donald Trump when he was president got asked recently about Trump running for president in 2024, someone who she worked for, close, close ally of Trump, and the host asks if she will endorse Trump, and she does not give an affirmative. Now, she's saying, I'm just not concerned with 2024, so this isn't, this isn't her going against Trump in any way, but it is her not as forcefully as she could being supportive of Trump in this campaign. Okay, so let's look ahead to 2024. Your bio on your official page as governor describes you as a, quote, trusted confidant of President Trump. Have you talked to him about his 24 run? Will you endorse him in that? My focus right now has been on 2022, winning the election in November, preparing through transition and getting ready to take office as I did this past week. I love the president, have a great relationship with him. I know our country would be infinitely better off if he was in office right now instead of Joe Biden. But right now my focus isn't 2024, it's focusing here in Arkansas and doing what we can to empower the people of this state and make sure that I'm delivering on the promises that I laid out over the course of the last two years. What kind of timeline would you have for making a decision? Do you want to see who else gets into the primary? Will you wait for the nominee? Uh, my, again, my focus isn't on 2024. It's on what we can deliver in this legislative session. I'm not going to set an arbitrary timeline. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders quite literally is governor of Arkansas right now because of her time as press secretary under Donald Trump. That's what gave her the name recognition, um, the awareness among the MAGA base to then propel herself into that position and to win the Republican primary. So for her now to turn around and not be ready to uh, endorse Trump, throw her support behind him, reveals the weakening of Trump as a candidate and as the leader of the MAGA movement. Because, of course, they'll give the answer, oh, I'm just not thinking about 2024. But if they thought being seen with Trump, supporting him as much as possible was going to help them politically, they would do that. He has announced you would throw that endorsement in, but they're not ready to do that. People like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who are very pro-Trump historically, not ready to throw uh, their support behind him because of how politically damaged he now is. And she may end up endorsing him, but she also is kind of wanting to feel out the political waters a little bit longer 
which does reveal he definitely doesn't have the hold over the Republican Party that he previously had. And that is a very good uh, bit of news for America. Republican Congressman James Comer, who is now the chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, appeared on CNN with Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper just brutally dismantles the dishonesty of James Comer and the way that he is uh, portraying the Biden document story in contrast to the way he responded to the Trump document story and how he's saying it's very important that we look into the Biden document story. Not the same with Trump, as we've talked about now extensively. Um, but Jake Tapper just very nicely makes James Comer's dishonesty clear in this interview, as you'll see. Take a look. So let's go there, because you're talking about the Trump documents. Former President Trump is under an investigation for his own classified documents. There are about 20 in the case of Biden. For Trump, there are, about, there are more than 300 classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. A big difference here, uh, just on the facts... Trump did not fully comply with the subpoena. His lawyers falsely told investigators that they turned everything in. Um, take a listen to what you told CNN about the situation last November. I don't know much about that. That's not something that uh, we've requested information just to see what was going on, because I don't know what documents were at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, so, you know, that's something we're just waiting to see what comes out on that. But is it fair to say that investigation won't be a priority? That will not be a priority. So what do you say to viewers who don't understand why President Biden's documents seem like a big priority for you, but President Trump, who took hundreds more documents, did not comply with the subpoena, did not reach out to the National Archives or the Justice Department to say, hey, we found these documents. It's not a priority. To be clear, we'll continue this in a second, but that is how you introduce a question to someone who you know is going to try to dishonestly wiggle out of it. You just lay it all out on the table and then say, here you go, sir, take it away. Do you only care about classified documents being mishandled when Democrats do the mishandling? Mm. Absolutely not. Now, if he were more honest, it would have stopped after absolutely, but, uh, this is his attempt to get out of the dishonesty. Take a look. Look, we still don't know what type of documents President Trump had. That's one of the questions we've asked National Archives. Just because Joe Biden's lawyers said they turned over five documents doesn't mean they just turned over five documents. They could have turned over 500 documents. Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't have a lot of confidence in President Biden's personal lawyers. At the end of the day, the National Archives Im implied to us uh, at former Chairman Maloney's request at, and told us that the National Archives was working with the Trump administration during the transition. That's the last communication we had uh, with whether or not the archives had worked with Trump on uh, removal of, of all the documents from the White House. So we don't know exactly what uh, Trump has versus what Biden has. At the end of the day, my biggest concern isn't the classified documents, to be honest with you. My concern is how there's such a discrepancy in how former President Trump was treated by raiding Mar-a-Lago, by getting the security cameras, by taking pictures of documents on the, on the floor. Okay, and we'll continue this a little bit further in a second, but that starts going with the narrative that we talked about previously in today's show that, okay, yeah, 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 maybe Trump, uh, he obstructed, blah, blah, blah. But the real issue is that he was raided, Biden wasn't. Biden should get raided just to make it all fair and equal. But Biden is complying with 
the authorities. It's complying with the investigation. Trump did not. Why was the raid necessary? Because Trump wasn't complying. They act like the raid was just for funsy or for, you know, out of hate for Trump when it had a purpose. It was to get the documents that Trump was not allowing them to get, was not turning over to them knowingly. Whereas Biden, right when he became aware that he had these documents, turned them over. Doesn't mean there still wasn't wrongdoing with him handling them where they were, not being secure, whatever it might be. We'll see. But definitely shows you the difference between Trump and Biden and why the raid was necessary in Trump's case and not Biden. So just willy nilly doing raids to make things equal doesn't make any sense when the facts on the ground of the situation is not equal. Why respond the exact same way to a less severe situation? Floor by going through Melania's closet versus Joe Biden, they're like, okay, you, you're, you're personal lawyers who don't have security clearance. Yeah, they can go through, they can just keep yeah. looking and keep looking and, and you know determine whatever's there. That's not, equal treatment and we're very concerned and there's a lack of trust here at right. the department of justice by house republicans that's the outrage so I, I get that but there's a big difference in how president biden and his team reacted and how president trump and his team reacted the fbi searched mar-a-lago because trump for more than a year refused to turn over documents to the national archives and the justice department which was trying to get them back into secure hands trump and his lawyers lied about it. Trump lied about not having classified documents, did not keep them in a secure location, did not comply with a subpoena, but said he had. And that that search warrant, which Trump forced out into the open through his legal machinations, that cited laws that Trump might have violated, including the Espionage it, Act. It's my understanding that President Trump did let the National Archives go through <laughs> on numerous occasions, mm. Mar-a-Lago looking at the documents. What my understanding is, and again, we don't know because we haven't been briefed, was that President Trump was arguing with National Archives. Right, and then he continues on. So, wow, that is, that's one way to do it. I'll say that's one way to attempt to come off as consistent. I guess a lot of just, I don't, I don't know enough about the, listen, here's the deal, Jake. I don't know because I choose not to look into the facts of the Trump case. So because I don't know, you shouldn't come to me with a response on the Trump case. My guess is Trump's not in the wrong. The DOJ is horrible. With the Biden case, I do know the details and I know that Biden's in the wrong. So let's talk about that. There's no inconsistency there. I'm just choosing not to know any of the facts of the Trump case. So then I can then turn around and say, I don't know the facts, so I'm not going to touch that one. But I know the facts of the Biden one. <laughs> And he messed up. Um, so <laughs> that's where we are with some of these people. We've heard for a while now from many in the right wing that Anthony Fauci should be prosecuted. Why, you might ask? I don't really know something about uh, he told people to get vaccines and they think vaccines did a bunch of horrible things and masks are the equivalent of, you know, complete tyranny and all these different things. And Fauci became the face of that, and now the right wing hates Fauci. Okay, so he got to respond to the fact that Elon Musk took to Twitter saying that he's gonna drop the Fauci files and also saying my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci, which the whole my pronouns are blank thing has just become the favorite of the right wing um, as of late. Well, Dr. Fauci responded to Elon Musk saying this, saying that he should be prosecuted without exactly outlining what it was that he did that deserves being prosecuted. Um, and here was Fauci's response. 
You know, no less than Elon Musk has said he has released the so-called Fauci files and talking about uh, how the government and Twitter, for example, work closely to share message uh, messages on, on how you particularly were dealing or telling the public about the virus. He went on to say my pronouns are uh, hashtag Fauci. Um, and I, I'm just wondering what you made of the, of the world's richest man or second richest now going after you. I have no idea what he's talking about, Neil. I wish I did. I mean, I, I just I'm clueless about what he's referring to. He's talking about the Fauci files was supposed to come out last week. We now at the end of this week, I, I just don't understand what he's doing, and I and I don't even think I should be addressing it because. So it's when he says what he's saying is to, to prosecute me. Fauci, that you were a little too cozy working in cahoots with Twitter and the government to provide a general response to all of this, um, but he's never released details of that. I don't know if that's forthcoming, but it, it, it's very similar to the kind of things Rand Paul has said about you in the United States Senate. Some of these House Republican members have said you made a bad situation worse. You're quite right to point out that at the time you were talking about this we were losing hundreds of thousands of people a day in a week um we'll stop it there the host uh outlines some of the facts of this that it's strange to say the person whose job it was to go to the american people and to the president and give advice based on the best public health information he had at that time during a crisis during a pandemic is somehow the villain in all of this and we should be demonizing him and wanting to prosecute him it shows you the all-out war that has been declared by many within the right on the scientific the public health the medical community and how the fact that there may be people out there who have a better understanding of certain fields of study because they invested their lives in those fields of study enrages a lot of people because no, I saw an article on Facebook. So <laughs> I should be able to weigh, on, weigh in on this with the exact same amount of credibility. And so then we get sentiments like this, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci when I'm sorry, there are people who we should probably trust more in a situation like a pandemic than you and your friend who sent you an article from Facebook. And so it's not to say that public health officials, experts in any particular field don't get things wrong. They do. And facts will change as time goes by and uh, we'll have to adjust guidelines and all of that. And things were done wrong during the pandemic. Lots of things were done wrong as far as governing goes. Yes, but the person who's responsible for that is not Anthony Fauci, who was just trying to give the best advice based on the information he had coming out of the public health community and uh, the experts who were weighing in on this. It's wild to watch and it's dangerous because Fauci has had his life threatened so often because of talking points and narratives like the one Elon Musk is perpetuating really for no reason. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez weighed in on the gas stoves debacle and uh, had a really good response to Ronnie Jackson on Twitter that we'll take a look at in a second here. But first, to give you the context, um, an individual within the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission mentioned that gas stoves create harmful indoor pollutants and the uh, government needs to be aware of that and take action to prevent 
individuals from being harmed by that, right? And that turned into Biden is planning on banning your gas stove and Fox News blew up about it and the US Consumer Product uh, Safety Commission came out and said, no, we're not in the works on something to ban gas stoves. We're just talking about uh, what actions could be taken to prevent these harmful indoor pollutants. And it was just a whole debacle. Well, AOC responded to Ronnie Jackson who had said, I'll never give up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come for my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Come and take it. Just so manly, so brave, so masculine for the strength he has to defend his gas stove. Now, why that's the hill you're gonna die on that you will, your cold, dead body will have to be moved out of the way if you're gonna come for my gas stove <laughs> is rather strange lots of important issues in the world there ronnie gas stoves aren't necessarily one of them but okay we care about our gas stoves i get it so uh i liked aoc's response did you know that ongoing exposure to nitrogen dioxide from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance so of course alluding to the idea that ronnie jackson may be sending out weird tweets like that because it's actually his gas stove's fault He's getting his cognitive performance reduced by um, that product. So very nice tweet there from AOC. But what's interesting about covering these types of stories is sometimes you get caught up in, myself included, um, the media nonsense that we miss the interesting and important discussion that could be had if we weren't focusing on the media nonsense. So what I mean by that is with this gas stove story, uh, Fox News went berserk about it. All these people, Ronnie Jackson saying, you can pry my gas stove from my cold hands and all that. And that's what I reported on initially. But the conversation about gas stoves by themselves is important as The Guardian writes. Gas stoves are a hot topic. A new study linked them to one in eight childhood asthma cases. One in eight. And that is what the Consumer Product Safety Commission was responding to in saying, if they can't be made safer, maybe we should consider banning them. It wasn't the Biden administration getting ready to ban them or anything like that, but that's an issue. And our obsession with the way we've always done things may not be as important as the lives of our children and ourselves and the possible negative implications of the indoor pollutants that those stoves cause, not to mention the just general um, climate change concern with that type of stove. So if we weren't in such an absurd media climate, we could have an interesting discussion about what should we do to respond to the fact that these gas stoves clearly, seemingly, are dangerous in many ways because of those pollutants that they create. But we'll never have those because right when the discussion even peeks its head out in this one little space within our government, Fox News and Ronnie Jackson and all these different people lose their minds. And so then we don't get to have that interesting discussion, important one at all. And that is one of the big problems with our uh, political system right now in the United States. Carrie Lake appeared on Huckabee, which is the show of Mike Huckabee, former Arkansas governor, father of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is now the governor of Arkansas. And uh, it was as unhinged as ever, Carrie Lake going on with all of her normal lies. And the reason why I want to watch some clips from this interview 
is because this still matters. And while Carrie Lake has lost, she's not going to be governor, at least as of now, unless she ran in later elections. Katie Hobbs was victorious, has become governor. And so in that sense, Carrie Lake is relevant, irrelevant. But the movement that she represents and the election denying thinking is very alive and well. If you look at polling with the Republican Party, so much of it is taken up by people who do not believe our election systems work unless their party wins, which is not a way that democracy can function. And so Carrie Lake is one of the faces of that thinking and one of the people who perpetuates those lies. And so we do have to keep up with it. First moment I want to show you from this interview, um, she's walking in, getting introduced, but then dives into the election. And I want you to take note in a few of these clips how it's so feelings-based. It's so, I felt like I was wrong, the election was stolen because of these reasons, not here's the evidence um, on a factual basis that made me believe the election was stolen. Uh, first moment, take a look. Get it, but my guests do. Oh, they don't like me, so but much. they love the people that we bring to the theater. How That's many the Arizonans thing. do we have out there? Any? <laughs> We got some Arizona people? No. Ah. I see them over there. You know what they're doing? They're all uh, moving to Tennessee, I think. I Well, I'll tell you they're what. They're so frustrated with this election. Truly, We're all frustrated with this. Arizona is a red state. We're a conservative state. And to watch our elections be taken like this. And that's why. It's a strange point to start off with. Obviously, Arizona does have kind of a purple political breakdown. But. Biden won Arizona. Then uh, we also have Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema, who are both. Well, Mark Kelly's a Democrat. Chris Sinema used to be a Democrat. Now she's independent. Both not Republicans, is my point, as the senators from Arizona. Then you have uh, Katie Hobbs winning the gubernatorial race. The Secretary of State was a Democrat. Clearly, Arizona has shifted, at least for the time being, in a blue direction. And uh, so that's definitely not the proof that your election was stolen, but okay. Well, I'm still fighting because I know what I saw on the campaign trail. We saw crowds like this yep. every single day. And the people are so excited and we want to keep our state sane. And I ran against somebody who didn't even get out of her basement. Yeah. So we know um, funny business when we see it. And that's why we're going to continue to fight it in the courts. So she had big crowds, similar to what Trump used to say. I had such big crowds. How could I have lost? And she knows funny business when she sees it. That's not exactly uh, the way you come to a conclusion as huge as my election was stolen from me. Here is Mike Huckabee sharing that similar sentiment of, we all thought you were going to win, so it's just shocking that you didn't. Pain, Governor, they started behaving. So I'm watching this whole race. I'm thinking, well, there's one race I'm sure of, and that's Carrie Lake is going to be governor of Arizona. And, uh, you know, we kind of go to bed that night thinking it's all going to go that way. <laughs> And so that also reminds me of the Trump response to his election of we all thought we had it in the bag. There was a lot of good numbers coming in early in the night and then big dumps, big massive dumps came in later in the night of Biden votes. And that's why it was all stolen. Then you look in the details and it makes total sense. Trump fearmongered about mail-in voting. Mail-in votes took a longer time to get counted. So they got counted later on. So then it shifted in a blue direction in certain areas. Not shocking, just counting the votes that should be counted that were legitimately cast. And so here with Carrie Lake, and in this case, Mike Huckabee saying, we all knew you were going to win. We just knew it. And so something had to go wrong for you to have lost. No, sometimes 
based on the social groups you're in or even the polling and the facts on the ground will build you up to believe something's going to happen and then it doesn't and that's not necessarily because it was stolen because there was some horrible wrongdoing taking place it might just be something unexpected happened guys trump won a lot of people did not expect that and still respected the fact that he had won um in that presidential election and that's just a type of thinking that so many now within the right wing cannot accept that the person that you love that you expected to win lost no no no, it had to be stolen uh third moment here from this interview and i just had this feeling an uneasy feeling and i said god it it's all about you. He put me in this position, this fantastical journey he put me on. And I said, whatever has to happen, if it has to go one way or another, I know that it's in, I'm, I'm putting my life in your hand. This is all in your hands. Mm. I think more people needed to wake up to what's happening with our election. So I'm going to see this through. We'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court and we'll see what happens. I don't want to start looking at plan B because once you... So you heard at the beginning there, she said, I just had this uneasy feeling referring to the election. Okay, that's not evidence. That's your feelings. Um, and then you put it in God's hands is what you're saying. And God apparently did not allow you to or sided with Katie Hobbs in that election. And because you believe that that was the plan, accept it. Unless you find evidence of wrongdoing, which you have not. Um, and that's why this is also wrong of you. Final moment we'll look at from this interview. And you live in a border state, Arizona, so you see a lot of the impact of people just coming across. We have no idea who they are, why they're here, what they're going to do when they get here. And so many of our problems are based on that wide open border. Hmm. We have people being smuggled in, uh, trafficked, children being trafficked into God knows what. We have drugs pouring in. Arizona is the fentanyl pipeline for America, and that is not something we're proud of. We've hmm. got to stop that. You know, you look at what fentanyl's doing. It's And so the fentanyl point that she ended with taps on something we've talked about so or touched on something we talked about so extensively which is the dishonesty around the fentanyl narrative because fentanyl is a real issue the way that it's impacting americans lives and it should be addressed and discussed but they're getting in the way of that honest discussion by saying it's all because of biden's open border policy which implies two things well outright says that there's an open border which there's not and also implies that by not having a border a lot of undocumented immigrants are able to come across and they're the ones smuggling the fentanyl when we've talked about the vast majority of fentanyl is attempted to come across through legal ports of entry so undocumented immigrants wouldn't be attempting to do that that would be uh, individuals who think other than the fentanyl they could get across legally if that makes uh, sense so that's just very dishonest in the way they talk about that subject which shows they don't actually want to address fentanyl um, and the issues surrounding it then you get to the beginning of that clip where they're talking about just the open border and how anyone can come across freely but what's funny is all of the the numbers they use they cite to make the point that a lot of people are coming across illegally are detainment numbers or illegal border crossing encounter numbers so border patrol is documenting how many people they come across, how many people they have encounters with, thus not feeding into the narrative that there's an open border because if there was, we wouldn't be encountering to detain 
undocumented uh, undocumented immigrants coming across the southern border and so it's all just completely confused and discombobulated in the way that they develop this narrative that undocumented immigration is the worst thing ever and we all need to be terrified by it instead we should develop a legal immigration system that has the best interest of the United States, but also the individuals looking for a better life in mind and makes that process more efficient so that everybody wins, which is a process we could have that would absolutely vastly dramatically decrease undocumented immigration because they would pursue the legal immigration route. Um, but that is not something that Carrie Lake wants to pursue because then the political tool she has of this fear mongering would disappear. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I'll see you tomorrow.